0: From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. EPR Creations created ShowTheSafeties.com for me, and if you haven't signed the petition for viewing angles that allow us to see the passing game on television, you ought to do so. Let's see if we can get the attention of the networks to be able to show us what we ought to see. Also, if you've not visited the Unconquered Podcast shop, you're missing out on some great climb stickers, the infamous Norvell cornrow stickers that can spice up your life and the lives of those around you. Buy a few stickers, support the podcast. Uh, One sticker that's also been very popular is the Rise uh, sticker with uh, what we'll call the Horse and Rider uh, sticker. Go ahead and buy those, support the podcast. You can stick them on all sorts of things, and uh, they make everything look better. So we are we're doing the Louisville preview here, and uh, I almost forgot that this was going to be a Friday night game, so uh was going to get things out on their usual schedule, but uh no, no, I needed to do everything a day in advance. so good thing it was a, a bye week. still had a ton of other things to do off the field, but uh, just enough time to squeeze this preview in. so we'll get this we'll get this going and hopefully uh, give you some things to look for when we when these two th- two teams face off on Friday. And really this is a game where I find this this is a really intriguing game. It's an intriguing matchup. Just like the LSU game was an intriguing matchup, but for very different reasons. This is a this is a game. So that game was one that during the offseason going into the matchup, I felt was a coin flip. It's a 50-50 type game and boy, boy did it turn out to be a 50-50 coin flip. Florida State I thought dominated the game for pretty long stretches, and had they taken care of business in a couple of, of key spots, they should have won that game by, you know, multiple possessions, say 17 points. You know, just that last fumble, you know, it's easy to remember. They should have put the game away there. But we can't forget, LSU also had a couple trips inside the five that came away with nothing. Uh, and, you know, that, that was a game that, that was really a very very competitive coin flip game. And, you know, between two teams, it brought a lot of question marks into the into the season. That was the thing. We really didn't know what to expect going into that game, even though Florida State had played Duquesne. I mean, what could we really expect from Florida State, especially since we didn't know what to expect from LSU? I mean, that was a team with all sorts of questions as well, with the coaching changes and, and all the things going around in Baton Rouge. So... That was a very intriguing matchup because of all the unknowns. This isn't a more interesting matchup for other reasons. And I think part of it is that we're we're looking at two teams that their sort of identity and trajectory as programs is becoming clearer at this point in the season. We know more about these teams and we're getting a sense of trajectory, but this this game actually... In some ways, can help define that trajectory for these two teams. I get the feeling that, and I've had this feeling in the in the preseason. You'll you'll recall that in my preseason previews, I talked about how there were a couple teams on Florida State's schedule that I I was just not nearly as high on as as most folks. I did not understand why so many folks were as high as they were on uh, on Louisville and on NC State. I, I didn't think that either team would be as good as what the offseason expectations were for those two teams, for those two programs. Uh, and I've gotten the sense and the feeling that internally, in terms of where the the Louisville program is, it's a very fragile place. That's a program that a lot of people were you know, projecting they could potentially contend for the conference, largely because they've got a really good quarterback. But... <clears throat> I just didn't see it. And what I I saw coming into the season is a team that could implode. And ultimately, you know, we might not see Scott Satterfield and that staff there next year. It's possible. So that's what I saw coming in. And then first week sort of validated that as they got blown out by Syracuse. And then they came out and they won a game against uh, a UCF team that really did everything they could not to win that game. So this is one where a lot of folks thought Louisville would take a significant step forward this year. I thought they'd take a reasonable step backward and really where they go is sort of undecided. And I think this game might actually be sort of the game that tilts the balance there, that determines which direction that program goes. I get the feeling though, that when you, when we, when everybody looks at this game in a year, and looks back on this game, they're going to see this, this game as, a, as an example of two, two programs going in opposite directions. That's, that's ultimately what I see here. And, you know, I think what we saw from Florida State in the LSU game was a program that has made some significant strides. I mean, I, I felt, watching that LSU game, that Florida State was able to match up player for player with LSU across the board. And that's something that I don't think Florida State would have been able to do the last few years. Were there places where LSU had a better player across from some, from one of Florida State's players who's a little overmatched? Yes, but there were other examples of that on the opposite in the opposite direction, and I think it went pretty pretty even. Florida State was able to match up physically with with LSU, and I thought Jordan Travis showed progress as a quarterback. The receivers and, and offensive line both took steps forward that de- that were demonstrated in that game. So all of those things marked progress, and I thought the defense looked significantly more cohesive and coordinated, and handled some really good wide receivers in that in that game. Plus, you could see the difference that Tatum Bethune made for that defense from the linebacker position. This is a defense now that is solid at all three levels. So that that Florida State team looked like it could become a pretty good football team as this season goes and as they grow together and gel. So looking into this game, this is a really intriguing game for me because if these two teams continue along what I perceive to be their trajectory in terms of programs, then you would expect Florida State to win this game and that to sort of launch FSU 3-0 for the first time in, in, since 2015 and starting the conference 1-0 and for the first time since 2015, that would launch them in a different direction and, and really further their confidence going into another game that they ought to win. And, you know, Florida State starts 4-0, and a lot of things, the narrative in Tallahassee is completely changed, and all of a sudden you've got a confident program. Similarly, with Louisville, if Florida State goes in and beats them on a Friday night after they got blown out by Syracuse, now they've started the conference 0-2, and some of the other rumblings, some of the things that have been under under the uh, under the surface there might start to manifest a bit more and that team could really have some have some problems moving forward. So that makes this really intriguing. Now if it goes the other way, if Syracuse or if Louisville is able to win this game, then in some sense that puts a stop to either to both narratives. All of a sudden Louisville is finding their footing, Florida State is is sort of free f- in that uh limbo space yet again and you know, things just are kind of continuing in that in that lack of a true trajectory on either side. But this would actually establish, this is the, the, the next data point that would be needed really to establish program trajectories connecting to prior data points if it goes in, in, in that direction. Otherwise, you're just looking at, you know, a week following going, well, you know, we'll find out who this team really is this week, I guess. So that's that's one of the things that makes this a really intriguing game from my perspective. Now, we're going to start by looking at the matchup between the Louisville offense and the Florida State defense. And this segment brought to you by Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. He's the best in the business out in the greater Jacksonville area. If you have any real estate needs or you need to refer someone to a realtor in the greater Jacksonville area... Send him to Lewis, go to Lewis, have him list your home, have him help you find a home. Nobody's going to outwork him. Nobody's going to do a better job of making sure that your home looks the best for any sort of listing. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. That helps this podcast, helps me out a great deal. So looking at the Louisville offense versus the Florida State defense, the Louisville offense, one thing you can say about Scott Satterfield and, and this Louisville offense is that they have a clear identity. They are who they are. You know what you're going to see when you, when you watch Louisville play offensively. They're going to run the stretch play. They're going to run the heck out of that outside zone stuff. And then they're going to set, set up deep crosses, post routes, uh, you know, a, a deep play-action passing game, and then a lot of boot action off of that stretch, stretch run stuff that allows Malik Cunningham to do a good bit of damage with his legs and also with his arm outside the pocket. That's what they do. It's just what they do. And their offense hinges on setting up the deep passing game with that stretch play success. And you've got to have, when you play them, you have to have great eye discipline at the safety position, at the... Uh, linebacker position because they'll hit you with everybody's stretch in one way and all of a sudden it's a boot action and it's going the other way or all of a sudden it's an end around and it's going the other way or all of a sudden it's a it's a play action and it's a deep cross going the opposite direction of the stretch all sorts of different things that you have to just really have good disciplined eyes anytime you're playing this Louisville offense that's what they do and that's what they do really well. And when Satterfield arrived at Louisville, he he actually went out and hired who, a, a guy that if you've listened to this podcast a long time, I, I I was very clear for quite a while that I felt Dwayne Ledford, the the offensive line coach from NC State for quite a while, was one of the five or six best offensive line coaches in the country. He really uh, he, he's he's a really good offensive line coach, and he does a great job teaching, especially. Zone concepts and getting getting his offensive line trained to be a really good outside zone team. And when Satterfield took over at Louisville, he made a big offer and pulled Dwayne Ledford from NC State, which is something that has actually negatively impacted NC State. Uh, NC State has not run the football as well since Ledford left or really since Ledford's uh, the guys that Ledford trained left you've seen their the, the NC State's running game get less and less efficient as they've gotten more distant from him. Now, he left for the Atlanta Falcons after the 2020 season, so then Satterfield hired Jack Bicknell, who is another good offensive line coach for the 2021 season, and he carried carried on what Ledford had the foundation that Ledford had established and they were actually a bit more efficient as a running uh, a, a running game in 2021 than they had been in 2020. But then Bicknell left after the season last year, and he's now the offensive line coach at UNC, which is showing some improvement under him up front. So now they're, they're on their third offensive line coach under Satterfield, and this time it's Nick Cardwell, the former App State assistant, who was a tight ends coach, actually, at, at App State, and then came to uh, join former App State head coach Satterfield at Louisville, and he apprenticed under the other two. I think he got there in 2019, uh, so he apprenticed under the other two, and now he's the head offensive line coach there. Uh, but I do think that that's a little bit of a there, there's a little bit of a drop off in terms of offensive line coaching acumen, and certainly experience with what they've got there now. That said, they're still returning four starters on the offensive line. They've got a new center, uh, but it's a good offensive line that they have, and they are well schooled. They understand how to run that stretch. They understand how to get their hat in the right place to get that big bucket step and to and to get you moving down the line of scrimmage and wash that that defensive line that defensive front down the line of scrimmage they do a great job with that I don't think though that they're special at running back with Marshawn Ford Dwayne Martin and the other Martin whatever his first name is Uh, I don't think I didn't see in the in the first couple games I did not see that they had anything really special at running back. And they've had some good backs there the last few years that have given Florida State some trouble. So for me, really this game boils down to Malik Cunningham. They're going to, they're going to run that, that zone stretch as, as the base and everything is going to base off of that, but how successful they are as an offense, everything runs through Cunningham. And it, Basically boils down to him being able to. You know, they'll run some zone read off of that off of that stuff as well. But they'll do a lot of boot action. They're using his legs, and then they he's he is an elite deep ball thrower. So essentially, what you have what you're looking at with with Cunningham and and most of y'all will remember Cunningham from prior seasons. I mean, he's torched Florida State twice now. He's an upgraded Jaden Daniels. You know, Florida State played a, a quarterback very much like him first in their game against LSU. But he's an upgraded Jaden Daniels. Not quite as fast as Daniels, but a little bit more uh, solid of a runner with an elite deep ball. Daniels only attempted one pass over 20 yards and it was incomplete. Cunningham's going to attempt some passes over 20 yards and he's going to put them on target. Question is, are, are they going to be covered? But he's going to he's going to, in this offense, they're going to challenge you deep. And he's a really good deep ball thrower. One of the best in the country. Now, The good thing for Florida State is that they lost their two best wide receivers from last year. Jordan Watkins, who went to Ole Miss, he transferred to Ole Miss, and then Tyler Harrell, who's now at Bama. And they replaced those guys with guys that are not as good as them. D. Wiggins from Miami, and Wiggins wouldn't have left Miami if he had actually been that dude, that elite dude at Miami, but he wasn't. And then Tyler Hudson, who's really, he's their best guy at wide receiver from Central Arkansas. He's a good player and Florida State's going to need to know where he is. The guy that actually scares me the most though from their group is actually the redshirt freshman Amari Huggins-Bruce. Uh he he got his hands on a couple balls against uh against UCF and he's he's a burner. He he's the one guy that 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 shows that kind of burst to create big plays and I think that's what you have to be afraid of with this team. I don't think though that they have a really an established excellent deep ball receiver to mesh with what Malik Cunningham does best. Last year, Harrell and Watkins were pretty good there. Uh, and the year before with Tutu Atwell, it was, <laughs> you know, it was it was tougher. But I don't think they have that dude at wide receiver. And so that that helps in terms of how you're, you're game planning here. But to me, the game plan for, for Florida State is very simple on this side of the ball. Don't let Malik Cunningham get hot. It's as simple as that. What you, the last thing you want to do against this guy is dare him to beat you with his arm. You do not line up and, put, and, and try to stop that running game and say, okay, well, you know, let's see if Malik Cunningham can, can beat us. No, 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 no. You do not do that because that's the one thing that he just might do. He is he is a hot and cold player. He goes nuclear and then goes into blizzard territory. He's either the tropics or Antarctica. There's nowhere in between. And, you know, we saw that last year. He in the first half against Florida State, he could not miss. And they scored 31 in the first half. And then they didn't score again in the second half when he came out ice cold. That's that's who he is. You just don't want to let him get started because this is a guy that if he gets hot, he could absolutely go for 500 total yards and five scores and do his best Lamar Jackson impression. Absolutely could do that. You just don't want to give him any space to do that. To me, this is a game you very much, you play, you play the exact same game plan you, you, you just used against LSU minus the last two drives, but you use the same game plan you just used against LSU and you force him, you compress the pocket, you tell your edges to keep contain as best they can, and you keep the linebackers involved against his legs to ensure, while, while playing your defensive backs more over the top, and force him to execute all the way down the field. Do not give him any any clean, deep shots. You just can't do it. You cannot exchange clean, deep shots for for pressure. It's not worth it with him. And here's a good way, here's a good example of how this actually has played out for him in his college career. In twenty twenty one, so last season, his man zone splits were uncanny. So against man coverage, he faced man coverage eighty-eight times last year on pass plays. So eighty-eight dropbacks. On those eighty-eight dropbacks, Louisville averaged eleven yards per play, and he had a ninety 2.4 QBR that is elite 88 dropbacks for 11 yards per play 92.4 QBR against zone he averaged 7.54 yards per play so that is you know almost that what's that's about a 40% reduction what 35% reduction and then instead of a 92.4 QBR like he had against Man, he had a 67 QBR against Zone. Now, when you see something like that, this is like being in baseball and you 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 line up and you've been scouting this the hitter and you discover that if you throw it on the inside half of the plate, those areas are bright red. <laughs> you you do, you know, this guy's been hitting all sorts of pull home runs and you know extra base hits off the inside of the plate all season. But then middle of the plate and outside of the plate are you know light blue and then dark blue. Well, what do you do when you when you face a guy like that? What do you tell your pitcher? You say, "You know, throw everything over the outside part of the plate. Do not get anywhere near his hands." Well, with Malik Cunningham, what you what you see right here is don't play man coverage. Don't make the exchange of trying to play pressure and then leaving guys in man coverage. It's not worth it. Because what that guy's going to do is either break, uh, you know, break away. He'll see all these guys with their backs to the quarterback, and all of a sudden he's running downfield and gets big yardage because they they're playing man coverage downfield. Or he's going to make a big time throw against a one on one situation and put uh, put his wide receiver at an advantage. That's what he's going to do. But against zone, if you're asking him to win from the pocket, make good, quick decisions, and execute with precision all the way down the field, throwing in the intermediate and underneath zones, he struggled to do that. He struggled last year. He struggled the year before. So that's what you do. You absolutely do not... Play heavy pressure and bring bring the house against Malik Cunningham. You do what Syracuse did. You play heavy zone. You keep your your safeties over the top. You force the the Louisville offense to run the football and execute all the way down the field. That's what you do. And frankly, I think this is one of those games where you you feel like you can do that because I don't think Louisville has shown the running game to to fear you're not afraid of their running game based on what they've shown so far if you look at what they've done so far they in those first two games they have not run the football all that well I mean they're they're, they've done it to set up the the uh their passing game but against Syracuse 31 carries 137 yards for 4.42 yards per per attempt uh you know what if they run the ball 31 times for 137 yards against Florida State, you'll take that. 4.42 yards per, per per rush. If you can limit them through the air, and that's what that's what they're getting, you'll you'll take that. Against UCF, they had more a little more success, five point oh two yards per rush for on forty five carries, two hundred and twenty six yards. You don't want that. But a lot of that was Malik Cunningham scrambling. So this is this is what you've got to focus on. You 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 are looking at what you've seen on tape so far. You're looking at the footage so far of what they put on tape. You say, "You know what? I don't think you need to stack the line of scrimmage to stop their stretch and commit to that. Instead, what you do is you you force them to prove that they can run on your front." That's what you do. That's what you you, you force them to show. Look, We've got some good defensive tackles, and yes, Fabian Lovett didn't practice this week. Likely out for this one. That's not exactly a, a you know state secret here. But you know, I'm not sure that they can run on Florida State's interior. And you want to you want them to prove that they can run on Cooper and Jarrett Jackson and and Ray and uh, Verse and and Briggs and the rest. You want them to prove that they can win up front and that their backs can make you fear them. And they struggled to run between the tackles against both Syracuse and UCF. You look at the splits, I was just looking at the splits of where their uh, their run success came, and it's almost all outside. Force them to, to, uh, to stretch that, force them wide on the stretch, keep contain on the boot, let your linebackers and safeties run downhill to the ball once it's actually handed off. And above all avoid giving up the 30 plus yard completions and allow and and avoid allowing uh Malik Cunningham to get really hot and you probably win this game it's real simple it's just it's not it's not complicated you use the exact same game plan you just used against LSU minus those last two drives and i think if you do that i don't think this team can run the football on that on you well enough to make you pack the box against them. And the thing is, if they do start running the ball well on you, then all you do is you say, you know what? I guess we'll have to add another player to the box. (laughs) But you don't do that to start. You force them to show that they can do it. Moving over to the Louisville defense versus Florida State offense side of things. And this segment brought to you by Shenandoah Newsma of Shenandoah Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can find her at shenrealestate.com if you have any real estate needs in the Research Triangle area of North Carolina. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. On the Louisville defense versus Florida State offense side, I think this is a a simple matchup as well. And it boils down to this. Run the dang ball. Through two games against teams that I don't think are as good running the ball as Florida State is. Louisville is 120th in the nation in run defense success rate. Essentially, teams, so Syracuse and UCF, when they called a run play, were successful 51% of the time in getting the amount of yardage that you would want to get on, say, first and 10, second and five, or whatever. They were successful over half the time against Louisville's defense. Florida State is fifth in the country in, defense, in offensive run success rate, this is a bad matchup <laughs> between those two. And Louisville has lost the guy that they were counting on to really provide stability on their defensive interior. And that's a transfer from Arizona State, Jermaine Lole. He's the guy at nose tackle that they were counting on. 300 plus pound guy that was going to st- stabilize the interior. They don't have him now. He's gone for the season. And this is a situation where you say, sweep the leg. Sweep the leg. They don't have the guy that they're relying on there to be, to be solid against the run. Run it right there. Run it straight at him. Force him to prove that they can stop the run without him on the field. And then beyond that, you just play play action off that down the field and, and give Travis some opportunities for some deep completions. And when you're doing that, you, attack, you go out of your way to attack Jarvis Brownlee on the verticals. The other corners that I, that I that I saw against UCF in particular, Quincy Riley, Catrell Clark, those guys looked better than Brownlee to me. Brownlee actually, on the season, has given up 10 catches on 15 targets. That's not great. He did have a late interception against UCF that was important, but that was a bad throw. It was a bad decision, and it was a ball that had to be wrestled away from the wide receiver. So, you know, the guy's a fighter, but... One thing we know about Jarvis Brownlee is that he, you can run by him. And I would be setting up some one-on-one matchups, trying to get, trying to find where Brownlee's going to be, set up my one-on-one matchup, run play action, and take some shots and let my speed guys run by him. And you can bet they want to do that. Now, I wouldn't challenge their secondary all that much. I mean, I think they've got a pretty good secondary. They've got quality safeties. They've got some, some other good corners. I would not make this into a passing contest uh, I wouldn't challenge the rest of their secondary all that much. You want to take safe shots off play action. You want to double move Brownlee. You want to attack him on some verticals, on some on some go routes, on some uh, you know over the top big boy posts, those sorts of things off of play action. But otherwise, you 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 call you run the safe calls along the lines of what you did against LSU. They do have some pass rushers, not quite at the level that LSU did. But they do have some pass rushers, and you've got to keep good leverage in through the running game and in the screen game and all of that, the way that you did against LSU. Again, it's a very similar game plan to what you ran against LSU. Now, I should also mention Syracuse gashed them with screens. They did not handle screens well at all, and they've got a defense with a lot of transfers. And sometimes that's one of those things where with screens and that sort of thing, you see that that defense is not yet cohesive. I thought they handled screens better against UCF, but I would definitely test them there early. And I would definitely try to get, you know, some of the same screen type action and, and constraint type plays on the edge. If they want to commit to trying to stop the run on, on the inside, I'd try to do some of that same stuff that I did against LSU to keep, again, keep ahead of the sticks. The more they can keep ahead of the sticks and the more they can just run the dang ball against the team that has struggled to stop the run – I think the more, the, the more likely you are to have success in this game. I don't think this is a complicated game in terms of looking at the matchups, in terms of what you need to do. This is a stick to the plan, stick to your identity. Run the ball, hit a few big plays in the passing game, off play action, and you win the football game. It's real simple. And then in terms of special teams, just get your kicks off. Don't do anything stupid, don't get anything blocked and you're fine here. I don't again, I don't see huge threats in the in the uh, in the return game. Catch the punts, get your kicks off and you're fine. So for our garage makeovers summary brought to you by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage re- remodeling company in South Florida. information in the show notes, Tell them you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. For our garage makeovers summary, when I look at this game, I see a Florida State team that in my opinion matches up well with Louisville on both sides of the football. I think LSU or I think FSU's defense matches up well against Louisville for the first time in a couple of years, mostly because they've finally shored up the safety and linebacker spots. With the line, with the way that that Louisville runs the stretch with the way that they that they get you going one direction and then come back with the other, and they're trying to hit big plays on a lot of that thing. With the way that they demand that you play with great eye discipline, they put a lot of demands on your safeties and on your linebackers. And Florida State was not great there early last year. I think Florida State's pretty good at linebacker and at safety this year. I also think that the defensive tackle and, you know, just the overall defensive line situation that Florida State has – matches up well with Louisville up front. And I think you'll, you're willing to give up some yards in the ground, including to Cunningham, as long as you play with great eye discipline and you don't give up those big plays. But if you've got the advantage up front on top of that, I think that is a good matchup. And if you look at last year, last year, Louisville, Louisville started out red hot. They scored 31 in the first half, with Cunningham hitting every, he basically everything in sight. And he hit, they hit a few big plays, they hit a couple over the top where guys got their eyes in the wrong spot, they hit that one post way over the top, and it's just, it was too easy. And then all of a sudden, you could see Florida State's defense start to figure some things out. And the full game stats, Louisville only ran for 131 rushing yards last year on 3.2 yards per carry, and I think this year's Florida State team is actually going to be harder to run on. So... You take that together, they had 264 passing yards from, from Cunningham as well, 6.6 yards per, pl- uh, per play in the passing game. Those are not great offensive numbers from Louisville last year, even though they had that hot start. And there was a narrative that has been going around for a year now. About that game last year, that Louisville basically dominated early and then just took their foot off the gas. In you know, once things got to garbage time, you know, scored thirty one in the first half, and then that was that was that. They just kind of shut it down. I, I just don't, I don't find that plausible at all. Nobody goes in the tank when you're up eleven with twenty nine minutes left in the game. Florida State cut that lead to eleven, thirty one to twenty, right out of the half. There were twenty nine minutes left, and Louisville still had to play a half of football with an eleven-point lead, with a pretty hot, what seemed to be a pretty hot Florida State offense at that point. And then Louisville could not really move the football much in the second half. What just happened is Cunningham got cold in the second half as they as Florida State figured some things out defensively, and that was that. And if if they can keep him from going nuclear like he did in the first half, the second half of last year's game could be both quarters or could be both halves this year. It's totally possible, and frankly, I think you're going to see something like that. I think in this game, Louisville is going to run for around four yards per, per carry, maybe a little less. And I don't think they're going to go above five point five yards per play in this game, because I think you're going to see a very similar game plan from Florida State from what we to what we saw against LSU. And I think Louisville is going to have even more trouble against it than what we saw from LSU. I think they're going to struggle to run the football with with a lot of consistency, and I don't think they're going to hit a lot a lot of big plays in this game. So I think you know somewhere 5.3, 5.4 yards per play for Louisville uh, offensively in this game is is around my expectation. And on the other side of the ball, I think Florida State's offense has an even bigger edge. Last year, you got to remember Jordan Travis did not play against Louisville last year. And last year, with Milton at quarterback. And you all remember, Milton was not exactly a, a, a big threat last year. And they threw it 39 times with him last year for 248 yards, 6.4 yards per play at that point, And one really, really costly interception. But Florida State last year, in that game, with Milton at quarterback, against Louisville's defense, ran for 205 yards on 5.7 yards per play. They averaged almost 6 yards per play in the running game against Louisville last year. And I think they're a little bit better offensively than this year. And I think with Travis at quarterback, they run, they've, run. they historically, you look at last year with Milton at quarterback and Travis at quarterback, Florida State ran the football way better with, with Travis at quarterback than with Milton at quarterback. Teams had to honor it. So I think that's what we're going to see in this game. I think Florida State with Travis at quarterback in this game, they come out and they're going to run the football. They're going to pound the rock. And I think we're going to see Florida State run for over 250 yards. I think we're going to see over 6 yards per carry in this game. And I think Florida State's offense is going to wind up over 7 yards per play overall. I'm I'm going out on a limb here, I know, because there are a lot of people that, that really have not fully bought into this Florida State team. And a lot of people that think that this Louisville team is better than I think they are. But I think that this is going to be a game that I think this is going to be Florida State's coming out party. This is going to be Mike Norvell's sort of stamp on what what this season might be for Florida State. I think FSU has a coming out party here, and they win going away. I, I've got Florida State winning this one 41-17 on the road Friday night at Louisville. And I give them about an 80% chance of winning this game. I think the matchups are good. And I think Mike Norvell is going to have this team disciplined and ready to, ready to play. And I think ultimately you're going to see Florida State w- dominate on the line of scrimmage on offense. And I think they will be good enough on, on the other side of the ball to, to avoid Louisville being, being able to be uh multidimensional to be two dimensional. And they're going to basically uh, run away with this game as it goes on. I think this is going to be remembered as a moment of these two programs going in opposite directions and Florida state really beginning to show the upward trajectory that this, that this program is on. We'll see. But that's what my expectation is. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you all on Friday night after the game. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach in Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the Dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Koshishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.